welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise God. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray before we come around the teaching this morning. Heavenly Father, I do thank you. So sincerely, Lord, for what you, have, you are doing, Lord, with our young people. Lord, we see the immense strain and attacks that are upon them. They're relentless. The world is out to destroy them and pervert them and, God, and break them into pieces. And we see that, God, the enormous attacks upon them. But I thank you that you have prepared a place in the hollow of the rock, oh God, in the cleft of the rock for them. And I just thank you today that you're moving in their lives. Now I pray for us, God, as we come around your words today, that you would speak to us one more time from this pulpit, Lord, that we would also imbibe what you have to say, and that it would, it would run deep into our hearts, God, and would affect our life, that it would honor Christ, Lord, that we would leave stronger for the, for, for the hearing of your word this morning. I pray for this, Lord, and I pray for all those who are watching online, God, that wherever they, they are today, Lord, that this in part will will be a ministering message to them too, Father. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Well, very special morning this morning. And um, I've titled the message, Defenders of Truth. So um, some of you immediately, if you have any idea of the calendar year that we're in, would have an idea exactly where I'm at. Of course, it's 505 years to the day that the Reformation happened. And I think it's probably one of the important events. You know, I'm not a ritualistic sort of a guy. You know me at this stage. But there is, there's things in, in, in our history and there's things in, in, in the scriptures that we, we completely honor all the time. I love Christmas, by the way. So that's the next biggie for me coming up. And I don't care if it wasn't the 25th of December. It most likely wasn't. Who cares? It's a great time to remember the incarnation. Amen. We take a day. We say this maybe this might be close, might be not. It's not about the ritualistic day. It's about the fact that we would remember. And it's amazing that the, the, the gospel, uh, the, the, the scriptures always tell us always to remember. Never forget what the Lord has done. Never forget what happened uh, along this Christian journey of life. And so this morning, I want to talk on Reformation Sunday um, about, about this incredible event and how Reformation is needed for every generation because of the nature of people. It's not just a once-off event of, of the 1500s. It is ever-present. It always needs. We are always needing that reforming. But we must know what we're reforming to. So the word reformation means to reform something that was bent. Something that's bent, it needs to be reformed. Something that's bent is back towards self, towards self-endeavor. And so we need to straighten that up and face it towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Steven Spielberg once, he, he came up with a phenomenal movie many years ago called Schindler's List. Hands up if you've ever seen Schindler's List. Many of you do, but the motivation for Schindler's List was that among American teenagers, you know, and it was less than 50 years after World War II, virtually none of the young people had ever heard of the Holocaust. No understanding that six million Jews perished at the hands of the Nazis, and it was a horrendous time. And so he understood that if you don't, let, if you don't bring to remembrance these areas of history, people would think that could never happen again. And of course, it does happen again. We see it in parts of the world today. We see it even, even going on before our eyes in many parts of Ukraine today that you have extermination of peoples. You know, the, off, I have someone sitting in the front row that has experienced war-torn parts of the world and understood what ethnic cleansing looks like. And so these things happen. And if you don't understand your history, someone says if you don't understand the failings of history, you are bound to repeat them. So these are here for our admonishment and for our education and for our strengthening in the Lord. But Spielberg brought that movie out because uh, people had forgotten the severity of what happened. Those who don't learn from the mistakes of history, as I said, are about to repeat them. Don't just learn from your own mistakes. Learn from someone else's. It's far better. Amen. It's far better to look at life with eyes wide open instead of putting your head in the sand. And my dad used to say that to me. He said, don't be learning from your mistakes. Learn from his. You know, look what he done wrong. And then you don't need to fall into the same pit. 
And uh, so that is, there's a great truth to that. But, you know, suffice to say that the Christian church, the body of Christ, the invisible yet potent powerful force of the body of Jesus Christ in this world hit this stage in the early se- first century with great power. In the book of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon the church and it goes into exponential growth. 3,000 on the first day. There are signs, wonders, miracles taking place, and it becomes like a bulldozer through history. Yeah, Jesus had already told his disciples this, I'm going to build my church. Now he's just a dirt, he's just a poor preacher, uh, walking dusty streets of Jerusalem and those areas. He, you know, he said, the foxes have the holes, the birds of the air have the nest, and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And yes, he says, I'm going to build my church, and hell itself won't stop it. And you know, all this before a cross, but I'm telling you, not, there was a cross, but there was a resurrection, and there was an endowing with power. And that church bulldozed through the Roman world, friends. It was phenomenal, exponential growth. The Christian doctrines, the Christian truths begin to distill into society, where they begin to believe what God said about them, that everybody was loved in the eyes of God. Everybody had utility. Everybody was valuable. Everybody that was ever born in this world, Christ loved them and came to set them free, to save and to see those who were lost. And that was amazing in a world that gave no credibility. If you were poor, you were less than nothing in the Roman mind. In many religions, it was the same. It was your caste. You know, that caste system is not just in India, but it's heavily in India. That whole system that you were born into a certain caste and through the suffering and misery and how you relate in that, you might get reborn into a higher caste later on. But if not, you can even go lower. You can go even become an animal. And, and so this, this thinking that people were just born that way to be used and abused, the Bible completely broke off from that. Amen. It said, no, all men and all women are loved by God. For God so loved this world. There was not another God. There was not another philosophy that had a God that was so loving and so compassionate that he would come down himself and die a horrible death. And so the poor, as the Bible says, received him gratefully with gladness. And so this gospel goes out to this destitute. That's why the apostle Paul said, not many of you are from high society. I'm just using more modern English. Not many of you are from wealthy backgrounds. Not many of you came from high caste. But God took the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And that's the beautiful thing about it. So, you know, when the Bible talks about sheep and he calls you a sheep, it's not flattering you, okay? The Bible's telling you you're a little bit stupid, you're prone to wander, you're always getting into trouble, but you have a great shepherd, amen? Hallelujah. We are sheep. Some of us think we're above our station, but we are sheep, friends. We are so foolish, but yet we have a loving Savior that leads us into green pastures. Hallelujah. And besides still waters. And so the church began exponential growth right from Pentecost, this explosion of power. The pagan world began to feel the repercussions as the gospel of truth went forward. And Jesus said that I will not, the gates of hell will never stop it. But of course, the enemy the pagan enemy at that time and the enemies of, of the gospel, you know, they rose up against it. And so it wasn't easy for the church. Don't, don't think for one second that it's just this, it's this sort of rosy story in the Bible. The Bible tells you the good, the bad, and the ugly about everything, friends. About our failures and our weaknesses, but also what God has done and the difficulties and the paths. And through much trial, the Bible says we enter the kingdom. So never read your Bible with rose-tinted glasses. It's a real story. It's truth. It's history. It's all the way through. But that church came up with massive resistance. And I mean massive resistance. Lest you think it's strange, the fiery trial that we're going, we are in and going into, friends. History is repeating itself. We best learn the lessons of history. Because we are coming into a time again where the church needs both reformation, determination, and focus. Amen, it does. You need, to, you need to sharpen up, Christian. You need to understand what's happening. You need to understand the seasons and the trials that you're in. Ecclesiastes 3, 3 tells us through everything there is a season. And we are moving into a season again. From the first era of persecution from AD 60 to 218. It was a massive persecution. Nero, the emperor, Domitian, Domitian Siptium, and Maximum Trax, all of them. All Caesars, uh, successive Caesars, came against the church with absolute venom. I mean, Nero was a madman. He, he caught the Christian children, they actually, and he lit them up as torches in his gardens. That was the persecution they went in. They went into the catacombs. They were, put, they were thrown to the lines in the Colosseums. It was horrendous 
violence met against the Christian church. But in the midst of all that, the church found its place, how to preach Christ, amen. Houses and little hamlets and villages and places where the Roman Empire couldn't reach. They began to gather people. They began to love on people. They began to open up hospitals and feed corks and feeding the people and loving on the people. And the gospel just, just grew and it grew in the midst of all the persecution. That went up for from really up to 300 years after Christ. You could see successive despotic regimes came in. And in that time, the church grew and grew and grew. It was like they couldn't stamp us out, amen. No matter what they did, the gospel went forth in great power. And then around 306, you have a man come on the scene. He rises to power in the Roman Emperor, a man called Constantine. And of course, Constantine, and people can read the history of him in different ways, but Constantine, I believe, was an opportunist. He was a power-hungry man. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire at, at that time. And he understood that his, his empire was falling apart because an empire is all different nations under a despotic ruler. You know, and that's what it is. So you put in all different cultures, ethnics, background, but you try to find some way to keep it together. You try to unite it in some fashion or some way because you want power. Men and women are always after power, friends. They're always trying to be God. They're always trying to be something that they were not created to be. And so in, in, in his cleverness, he tries to design a way of holding his empire that's beginning to fall apart. And he looks around and he surveys and he sees that of all the religions, of all the pagan religions of his time, the one religion that, was ha that had utility with the people was Christianity. Christianity seemed to be philosophically, religiously, and the effect upon the life, head and shoulders, friends, actually miles above all the competition. And so to this end, he begins to adopt Christianity, and I believe for mixed motives. I think he certainly was attracted to the philosophy of it. Why wouldn't he not be? The rest was morally spent. It was, it was theologically spent. It had no value whatsoever under any sort of intellectual scrutiny. And so he, he began to lean into Christianity and eventually made it the state religion. Can you imagine today if Pastor Nick became the president or, uh, of America or here and, and had all power and I made everyone become a born-again Christian? Oh, yeah, it wouldn't be cool. It would be despotic, you know? <laughs> you know imagine it by rule of law. The realm is going to force you to live a certain way. I want to tell you, forced moral behavior has got no virtue to it. There's no virtue to that. God could have done that without anybody. God could have come down and forced you to live a certain way. He'd give you free agency. He could have forced his way upon you, done violence to you if you didn't, but he lets you down the path that you choose, but he lays out options for you and he sends his holy spirit to encourage you and he sends preachers into your life and he gives you a thing called conscience and he gives you a thing called nature and he gives you the word of god and then he sends christ into the world and amazing and so true the bible says through his long suffering and through his kindness he leads us to repentance but you know this is what constantine did constantine made it the state religion and he began to you could say he began to uh, he, he mix up the religion with the help of compliant Christians of the time. Christians that became a tepid in their faith, that had begun to move away from the scriptures, move away from the word of God. And so he began to uh, develop a religion that started to take shape like the Catholic Church of today. It started to take in ideas of Judaism, ideas of paganism, and ideas of biblical Christianity, and mixed it up together. And after a period of time, you got what was called the Roman Catholic Church. He was the one that installed the first bishop of Rome, paying him a handsome salary. It was a great way to control religion. He paid the pastor very well, exceptionally well, too well. You know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they become more reliant upon the paycheck rather than what the Holy Spirit is saying. And so this entire, this, this entire attack upon Christianity happened early in, but it didn't really go south very fast, if you understand. You just started at the beginning. It takes a few generations to move in. But over the time, things begin to creep into the Christian thinking, the Christian church, the Christian mentality that were not biblical, that had nothing to do with the scriptures. I'll just give you a few of them. I have them in no particular order, but actually I have something here I dug out. Just give you, just give you a few, an idea of a few things here that came out. 
Human tradition was elevated to or equal with the word of God. 1,545 years after Christ. 1,545. Celebracy for priests and nuns happened 1,079 years after Christ. 1,079 AD. Infant baptism happened at 370 years after Christ. Isn't that amazing? 370 years after the first New Testament church that we take our doctrine and we take our lifestyle and our pattern comes and all of a sudden, adoration of the host, that is the wafer or the bread that we use for breaking your bread, the bread, that became the physical, actual body of Jesus, not representing Jesus. It became the actual body of Jesus and it, uh, I have it here, trust me, just eyes are getting bad. 1,220 years after Christ, 1220 AD. Anybody shocked this morning? How far the gospel started to bend away from biblical Christianity? How far it started to bend? Purgatory came into place, 593 AD. Papal infallibility, 1,870 AD. Indulgences, which was a doctrine that the papacy came up with so it could, it could build St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. That was a doctrine that, first of all, that people who weren't quite not bad enough to go to hell but not good enough to go to heaven were gone to purgatory where they'd burn for a few centuries and then eventually pay for their own sin and they would get to heaven. But if you bought an indulgence from the Pope, he could say a special intercession and get your burning mom or your burning dad or your burning brother or sister out of hell and into heaven. That's how they raised all their money for all those great, great uh, structures that we all go around looking at. Idolatry, making images to, to pray and worship, 786 AD. Mary, the veneration of Mary, 431 AD. Rosary beads came into place 1,090. 1,090 years. I, I'm not going to go into them all. You see where I'm going this morning. How quickly, how quickly, the practice of simony, uh, that was a practice where you wanted your son to become a pastor or a bishop or a priest or whatever, or, or even more, an archbishop. You paid the papacy, and all of a sudden, your, your immoral, despotic, gambling, wayward uh, son was all of a sudden made a priest. Relics came to four, thousands of years. And in the Church of All Saints in Wittenberg, which is where we're going to go to in a, more, in a moment, there was everything from a fragment of Noah's Ark some soot from the furnace of the three Hebrew boys, a piece of wood from Jesus' cradle, some hair from the beard of St. Christopher, a vial of milk from the Virgin Mary, and over 19,000 other relics. I want to tell you this morning, this was the 1500s. And there was a Catholic priest called Martin Luther, after visiting Rome on a pilgrimage, returned so disillusioned he came back because he was a man that, that wanted righteousness. He was a, he's a priest. He, he had a devotion to God. He loved Christ as much as he understood it. And he came back from Rome after seeing how far the Christian church had con, gone off track. How far away from the scriptures. How the beloved, as he would call them, were terrified of death. And that were being absolutely abused and, and taken advantage from, from the religious hierarchy with buying statues and buying indulgences and buying prayers and you know always in the state of not knowing whether we're right with God or wrong with God and painting a picture of God that made him look like a despot so that's what they did they misrepresented who God was God wasn't love all of a sudden they created God as some sort of ogre never quoting John three sixteen, who for God so loved the world it was God that loves this world friend and still loves this world you know, Martin Luther came back very disillusioned after what he saw, how the people were broken and they were fearful. They had no peace, they had no joy. They didn't know if they were going to heaven, hell, purgatory or whatever. They didn't know if God loved them or hated them. They didn't know what side they were on and all the time dancing to the different tunes of religion. This was the world of Martin Luther. Born in, the, in 1483. And Luther goes back to Germany. And Luther is there and he's reading the scriptures and he says, we have to have a conversation. I have to summon the, or the leaders of our church in our district to have a conversation. And so he comes up with 96, what they call thesis. 
96 propositions that he wants a discussion about. He didn't want to break away. He just, he, we need to see what, this is what we're doing, but we need to have a discussion about these things. We need to see what's happening here because this has gone so badly off track. And so the very weekend that he nails his 95 thesis to the church door of Wittenberg, Johann Tetzel is coming to town. Johann Tetzel has been commissioned by Pope Leo X, and he's coming selling his indulgences in the very same week that, that Luther is knocking in his 95 thesis. Tetzel is coming as an envoy from the papacy, selling these indulgences. Actually, he's quoted in history for saying that even if one should have violated the mother of God herself, I hold in my hand an indulgence that would get him out of purgatory. Can you imagine that? To the illiterate, to the godless, to the fearful, that looked up to these men of prominence and position. Can you imagine what that would have done for these people? They would have sold their grandmothers. They would have sold everything to get themselves out of the trouble they were in. But Luther puts his 95 thesis on the 31st of October, 1517. He knocks it to the castle church door of Wittenberg and he pinned these theses to challenge the corruption of the then church because the church became bent away from what God intended it to be. And it was, a, it was no light thing, friends, what he did. Socially, spiritually, and even for his own life's sake, he was taking his life in his hands. You must remember that they denounced Galileo, called him a heretic because he said the world was round and not flat. You know, and heretics die. You know, they denounced anybody that didn't agree with every jot and tittle according to, to the Roman system or the Roman overlords. And so Luther tries to provoke a conversation. But one year later, Pope Louis X declared Luther a heretic and had him excommunicated. And this is, what, this is what started what was commonly called the Protestant Reformation. Now, I don't know about you, Christian, I ain't no Protestant. I'm not a protester of anything. I'm a defender of truth. Yes, Hallelujah. Yes, I tell, that's the first corruption, to tag you as protester. No, 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 we're not protesting anything. We're not standing with protesters. We are here to declare the truth of God's word. You shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth shall make you free. And the reason why this is poignant, because friends, what happened in the early, in the mid-church, in, 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 those, in those medieval times, was there was a departure from biblical orthodoxy, a departure from truth. Men and women didn't know the scriptures. Men and women weren't guarding the truth of God. And these things started to creep in. And you think that we are better than them, that it can't creep in today? That in our watch, that we start to have a little bit of spiritual laziness, folding of the arms and becoming lazy with our spirituality and giving ground in the areas that are going to produce nothing but thorns and thistles in the life of people? No, friends, it is possible for us, and it has been, and it is today, that the church that we live in today, in the globe today, also needs reformation to come back to certain truths and to hold them very, very dear. Because if you don't, you're going to bring your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and society into another dark age. You're going to produce all what those thousand years produced in their lives, friends, which was awful. And so he comes out what started the great, was known as the great five solas of the Reformation. It's a little bit of Latin. I'm not going to tell them school and anything like that, but... Martin Luther eventually distilled down his 95 thesis to five cardinal areas that the Christian church has to hold exceptionally dear. And it became known as the five solas of the, rest of the Reformation. The first one is sola scriptura, which is scripture only. The second is sola Christus, which is Christ only. The third is sola gratia, which is grace only. Fourth is sola fide, faith only, and soli dio gloria, to the glory of God alone, is the fifth sola of the Reformation. Let's look just for a moment at each one of them and we draw to a conclusion how important these things are for us. Uh, yeah, now before I even draw to a conclusion, I want you to think that we've got 150 very tender and needy young people up at the youth weekend. Do you want them built in a bad foundation or a good foundation? Do you want them terrified of God or loving God? Do you want them following after something that will lead them into utter darkness? Or do you want them, it's important, truth is important. It's important. Truth becomes the mold of your expression. So if the mold is wrong, the expression is wrong. 
The manifestation is wrong. The lifestyle is wrong. God, Jesus said, uh, Paul says, be not deceived. Whatever, God has not mocked whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow this a wrong notion of God, a wrong manifestation of God, you will reap something that is not godly. So you can't escape that. It's a law, a spiritual law that is vital for the Christian church. And so Jesus in Matthew 22 verse 29 says, Jesus said, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures, not the power of God in them. Scriptures only. Second Timothy, Paul tells Timothy in chapter 3 verse 16, for all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, and for, uh, uh, and for instruction in righteousness so that the man of God, a woman of God, will be thoroughly equipped for every good deed. The scriptures only. It's what Martin Luther wanted. That has to be the rule for every life. We have to measure what you believe and what I believe against what the Bible teaches. What did Christ say? What did the early apostles teach us? The cornerstones, the 12 that, that were, the church was built upon. What did they lay out in the word of God for us, friends? And, that, and so when you don't know the word of God, you're going to be, you're going to be very easily led by someone's passion or someone's persuasive talk, but you're going to be led astray. And that's why it is so important for the Christian to know what you believe and why you believe it. You know, it's not good enough to say, I just have this experience. I think it's important to have the experience, but you have to be rooted and grounded. What you believe is going to be challenged. And if you cannot stand, if you cannot bring the scriptures to bear and say, well, this is what God says. As a very young, man, young child, actually, when my mom and dad got saved in the 70s, I think we were the first Catholic family brought into, saved into a Pentecostal uh, um, expression from what we know. There might have been others. But that was a huge thing for my mom and dad to step out of the Catholic church, have us removed from religious class because they didn't, they didn't want their children, i.e. me and my siblings, indoctrinated in Catholic error or any church error for that matter or any religion. They wanted brought up in the scriptures. But I'll tell you one thing, it also put an X in my back, being the only one brought out of a religious class, you know, in, a, in what was then a majority Catholic class. It was, it was not easy. They were the days of corporal punishment. You know, teacher didn't like it. The priest who came in didn't like it. The principal didn't like it. And the students certainly didn't like it. But I'll tell you, after a while, when I would just say, well, it was no use me telling my friends or my challengers in the schoolyard, you know, uh, you know what my parents said. Well, my dad said, that's not true. That's not good enough. I had to be able to know what did the Bible say. But the Bible says this. The Bible says there's only one way to God. Not many ways. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not ten mediators. Not saints. Not other people. Only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so I had to learn the scriptures because, you know, it wasn't very convincing to my friends when I would say, well, my dad told me that the Pope is not, not infallible. Well, so what did you believe? Your dad also told you about the tooth fairy. Did you believe in him? I had, to, I had to go back even at 12 years of age. I had to learn what the Bible had to say. And I hear an amen. amen. You, know, you need to know what the scriptures have to say. I could come up here next week, you know, peddling some sort of nonsense. You need to be able to open up the word of God. You need to be able to say, Pastor Nick, better men than you have fallen under the, word, the wheel of error. You, you, you have to be aligned to the word of God. You have to be submitted to the very same scriptures. Sola Scriptura. You take the Bible from the Christian and all we are is an opinion. And the world has got 7.4 billion opinions, friends, and it doesn't need another one. It needs to hear what God has to say. And so they tried to keep the scriptures from us. They kept it in vernacular that we couldn't read. They brought it in from the Hebrew and the Greek into Latin. You know, who spoke Latin in the rest of the world, you know? And then they, had, they kept the scriptures from it. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But if you keep people from the truth, you're going to keep them in bondage. And Christian, you have the truth. But if you're keeping that Bible on the shelf and you're not schooling yourself in the word of God, you're going to fall under the, word, the very wheel, friends, of error in your own life and practice. Sola Scriptura, scriptures alone. Not scriptures and tradition. That came in 1,070 years afterwards. It was always the scriptures. What does God have to say? See, you, tradition has to get behind, Amen. You put tradition in front of the scriptures, that's putting the cart in front of the horse. It's not that there's a level of tradition that we also come to just because of social norms and interaction. You know, you, let's be honest, what we have here, if we put this on 100 years ago, would terrify most Christians. They would never see lights this color, never have a screen like that, and they wouldn't sing songs like we sing. They'd sing it in old English. 
They would sing it in, in the sort of style of their day. It would terrify them. So, you know, traditions can be changed, but they have to get behind the truth. Amen. The second solar is solar Christus, Christ alone. Jesus said in John 5, 39, he says, Ye search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life, but they speak of me. It's all about me. In actually, any Bible scholar, any Bible reader, you will understand that from the very start of Genesis, all the way through, it points to one name. And it ain't you. And it's not me. It's the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not co-Lord with Mary. Our co-redemptorist. That only came in about 60 years ago, actually, making your co-redemptorist in salvation. No, friends. It's all about Christ. Psalm 40, verse 7. I'm revealed in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Hebrews 10, 7. It repeats the same psalm. It is written of me. It's all of Christ. Praise God this morning. It's all of Christ. Can you imagine if God laid any portion of your salvation on your shoulders? Not one of us could stand. You may not think that now because you haven't journeyed long enough in life or the scriptures to see, but that is very true. Thank God salvation from beginning to end was the, was the heart of God for you and I. It was the birth, birthed in the heart of God to seek and to save that was lost. So that's the second one. So we saw the scriptura, number one, sola Christus, number two. The third great sola of the Reformation was sola gratia, grace alone. Now grace, friends, is not your daughter's name, okay? And grace is a Greek word which means unmerited gift of God. It means that you didn't merit it. You didn't do some great work. You didn't look beautiful. You didn't act great. And then you got this. Well, that would be a reward for something that you did. Do you understand? That would be, hey, I've, I've run a race now. Give me my, my winnings. Grace is something given to you that you never earned. You could never earn. And it's given to you because the one giving it to you is benevolent and kind and loving. And so that's what grace is. Grace is the unmerited gift of God. And then when we look at what does that mean, because you take that word apart, you have to see, well, what does that mean? Well, the grace of God is Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the grace of God is the person of Jesus Christ. It's all of Christ. The whole thing, friends. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, one of the great scriptures that many Christians would use. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Unmerited gift of God. Isn't God good? Isn't he good to you and to I? Isn't he? The Bible says, surely God has been good to Israel. For all those who have been afar off. This morning, as Reformation Sunday, there's many, many pulpits of decent quality will be speaking on this topic today because they'll have men in those, or women in those pulpits that understand the utility of remembering events like this. Spielberg was right. You have a generation that knew nothing about the Holocaust and you have a generation that knew nothing about the Reformation. And as a result of that, friends, truth falls in the work marketplace. It just falls to the floor. People begin to wave it off. So that's the third sola of the Reformation. First, sola scriptura. Say it with me, sola scriptura. Second, sola fide. Say, sola fide. Third is sola gratia. And now we're going to the fourth one, which is sola fide. Anybody know what sola fide is? Faith. Faith alone. Faith alone. Now, friends, I want you to understand that faith and belief is not the same. Okay? I, I talk to people, do you believe in God? Well, they do believe in God, but that's not saving faith. Oh, I believe, you could even believe doctrines. But faith is putting your confidence in it. Do you understand? It's not, well, yeah, I believe God's there. I, I do believe God. I believe Jesus. Even by saying I believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's not the same. That's a belief. And that's good. That's right. Not wrong with that. But it has to be hitched to faith. It's putting your faith in. And this is why you cannot be thrown to one side in a conversation for people who give you a silly one-line answer. Well, I believe in God. Well, the devil believes in God. He ain't going to heaven. Amen? 
So there's a lot here. We're talking about the souls of men and women that they need to be arrested with the truth of God because if, they don't, if they're not confronted with the truth of God, friends, there's very little hope for them. And actually, fact, there's no hope for them. So it's faith alone. By grace are you saved through faith. Faith is putting your confidence in what God has said and what God has done. And that's exactly the truth. There's nothing else you can do. I, I simply, as a Christian man, you as Christian people, stand on the ground of faith that I have done nothing meriting the grace of God. I put all my confidence in the character of God that he's loving, he's kind, he's merciful, and he has made a legal way for me to be forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. This is why men and women died, friends, at the stake. I'm telling you, Martin Luther, no sooner had he nailed those, 30, those 95 theses a year later and Pope Louis starts to send his armies after him. If it wasn't for Frederick the Wise, one of the kings, Saxony kings, Frederick the Wise was convinced of Luther's argument. Frederick the Wise was wise. Frederick the Wise was a man, so okay, well, Luther, show me the scriptures. If you're going to stand up against the papacy, that's, that's big trouble in little China, let me tell you. That's a big issue. It's a serious issue. You know, they're going to take you. They're going to burn you at the stake. In actual fact, Luther was, Luther was challenged by his friends because they called him to go to a place called, in Germany, a place called Worms. It became known as the Diet of Worms where a debate was going to be had. And they said, Luther, if you go to Worms, they're going to burn you at the stake. And I tell you, Luther's response was phenomenal. He said, they, could, they can... Start a fire from here to worms, he said, but I will walk into it singing the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his glorious light. That was the confidence that he had. It was, if there's anything worth fighting for and dying for, it's the gospel. I want to tell you because without the good news, without the gospel, friends, our children are finished. Our grandchildren don't even have a hope. Our society has no hope. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And when the gospel is rising, friends, and when people embrace it, society as a whole begins to experience the great blessings and rewards of that gospel message. Faith in God, friends. Faith in Christ and faith alone. It's not the one I trust God and I also have this one over here just in case. No, 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 no. That's not faith alone. Faith in Christ alone, friends. There's only one God. There's only one mediator between that God and man. That man, Christ Jesus. And of course, the last soli de gloria is to the glory of God alone. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I'm only giving you a little synopsis this morning. I hope to God this was, will whet something in your heart, an appetite for truth. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praises to graven images. Jude, some believe to be a half-brother of Jesus. I believe that's true. Actually, fact, the veneration of Mary was over a thousand years after the death of Christ, by the way. The perpetual doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary came in a little bit later, a little bit earlier than that. Yet Matthew tells us the name of her children. The doctrine of celibacy. Yet the Bible says the bishop should be the husband of one wife. How did I get around that? How, why? You just didn't want to educate the kids and pay for them. That's what it was all about. It was all about money. Jude 1, 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all the diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which is once delivered unto the saints. Thank God we have men and women in this house that are seeking the Lord, seeking the scriptures and defending the truth. Thank God you've got Sunday school teachers, worship leaders, youth leaders, evangelists in this house, their friends, cleaners, everybody that participates in this house are men and women that defend truth and stand for truth. Everyone that stands behind a microphone to sing to the glory of God are singing to defend the truth of the gospel. Amen. Every believer that, calls, that we baptize underwater are men and women that understand the ramifications that there's only five solas. Amen. To the glory of God. All of it is to the glory of God. We must never forget, friends, unless John chapter 3, verse 3, unless a man is born again, he can never see the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. We can never forget John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. 
We cannot ever forget Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter's when he says, there is no, no other name. And I emphasize the no, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hallelujah. That's the gospel, friends. Hallelujah. This morning, we have an opportunity to reflect upon the history books, friends, and begin to see what God had done in times past. And now it's our time. I said it's our time to stand up and hear the word of God. Let me read you some other scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. I wonder how we ever found out about Facebook and YouTube there, eh? And Twitter and all those things. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In actual fact, I was reading in history that relics and all these things came in through women of notability. In other words, there were wealthy women that just got an infatuation with the story of some sort of saint that would have died for the Lord and then tried to find a fragment of his hair and a relic and, and, and pastors because they were getting probably good money coming into the church, never withstood it. and said, no, we don't do that here. We're not setting that's a snare to the people. Amen. There's many times here in court church that we, 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 mysticism could break out somewhere as foolishness or someone thinks they have the Holy Spirit and wants to dictate to the congregation here what God is saying and doing. And I know that person's not even in victory. And it's not happening here. Can you hear now, men? You have to defend and stand for what's right. And sometimes that will not make you popular. Not with men, but it will make you popular with God. Hallelujah. Always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproving concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest for all, and their ways was also. Chapter 4, let me read you this. I charge you, talking to Timothy, therefore, God, uh, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For there will come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers and they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is what Paul is writing, young Timothy, pastor of the largest church in the New Testament in Ephesus. People will have their own little doctrines, their own little itching ideas. It doesn't matter what the scripture says, this is what I feel. To what shall I like in this generation too, Jesus said. But the children... In the play yard, sang saying a happy song and you didn't dance for me. And I played a sad song and you didn't cry. That's what this generation is all about, emotion. But how you feel. I tell you, friends, we have to hear what God has to say, amen. And bring our emotions into line with that moorage to the truth. So you have stability in your life, stability in your manifestation, stability in your marriage, stability for your children, and stability for society. Mysticism, false teaching, all these things flood in. Even to the Christian church, holy oil, gold dust, prayer shawls, gold teeth, weird manifestations. Why? Because they've left the truth of God's word. That's not just gold point at the Catholic church. I'm talking about the evangelical Pentecostal church faith, chasing after their faith preachers. Nothing other than lucky dip Christianity. I give $5 and God will give me 50 back. Lottery Christianity. Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evils. And that's where we need to call it out among our ranks and say, that's not the word of God. That's not the truth. That's a perversion. Sola Scriptura. It's all the scriptures. If that's not enough for you, that's all that's an order, an offer today, friends. 
If it ain't good enough for you, find somewhere else because I want to tell you, friends, we know nothing other than Christ Jesus and him crucified in this church. It is enough for me, friends. It's enough for eternity. It was enough for Peter and Paul and the 12, and it should be enough for you because inside those truths are the unlocking of the mercies and the power of God. It's all about Christ. It's not about me anymore. Can you say amen? Isn't it so liberating that Christ is my salvation? Hallelujah. It's all about his grace, his faith, and his glory. see in the church in Revelation 3 had fallen by the way of finances and money and prosperity. It was neither hot nor cold, and God said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He said, I stand at the door and knock. You become prosperous, and you say, I don't need God. And I want to tell you, friends, if you look at the last 50, 60 years of the American church, and I know it intimately, there's some phenomenal Christians in America. So I'm not an American hater or down in it, but I want to tell you, there was an awful lot of error and sin and nothing other materialistic grabbing from money preachers. You know, where were they when the COVID started? They were hiding in their bunkers. Where were the prosperity boys then rebuking and casting it back? Oh, I want to tell you, they all hid. Same after 9-11 in New York, you didn't hear Creflo Dollar coming out talking about prosperity and people barely able to put food on their table. So it's, we can talk about 1517. And that's absolutely right. Martin Luther was a brave man. He stood for the five solas. Gave his life for truth. He wasn't a perfect man. The areas that he had shortcomings for sure. But in these areas, he was absolutely right. We are now in the 21st century and we need to watch our doors as Christians that we don't bend away from these truths, that we don't go left or right because once you start going off, then you start going off into mysticism and folly and foolishness. The scriptures and Christ is enough. His grace is enough. His love is enough. His presence is enough. I want to tell you, friends, that is everything. I've met people out in the Maasai Mara, and they have a mud hut over their head, and they had the glory of God there. I've met people in opulence, in living in rich, and they, and, and they have no peace. It's not about the circumstances. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. The circumstances don't sanctify the person. The person sanctifies the circumstance. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because you're there, God's there. And because God's there, everything is possible. And if you could only start embracing that and believing that, you'll begin to know your God and do great exploits. Hallelujah. Neither hot nor cold. You're pitiful and wretched and poor and blind. And I will spew you out of my mouth. I love Exodus 15 because it says this. is Moses saying this to the Lord. Who is like unto thee, O God? O God above the gods, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. I want to tell you, friends, we cannot touch the glory of God. We cannot add, we cannot subtract. We cannot do what Peter wanted to do on the Mount of Transfiguration. Build something for him. Let us build four boots here, three boots here. No, Peter, just come in and enjoy what God has done for you. Amen. There's nothing you can do to take or add from his glory, friends. Glorious and holiness. In Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11. Who therefore will contend with me? Who can compare himself to me? Who is going to light his own sparks from his own fire? This is what you will receive from me, says the Lord. You will lie down in torment. And when Christians go off the gospel truth, they're the most tormented creatures in this planet because there's a level of life there and a level of torment there. Because all of a sudden they love God, but they're clinging to all their endeavors. They're clinging to all their other ways. They've gone off. And the Bible says, because of a lack of knowledge, my people are perishing. Perishing in their marriages, perishing in their peace, perishing in their bodies. Oh God, this morning, may we understand that we live in a time that great truth has been entrusted to us. Great opportunity, friends. We None of us here have excuse to stand before a holy God and say, I never heard. You two watching online. And I would say to you, moms and dads, it's a time to reform again. It's a time to straighten up the life. Straighten up the thinking. Put it back onto Christ. And look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Mr. Luther, we owe you a debt of gratitude, but more so than you. Father, for your mercy. 
and your kindness, where we went so dark, where we went so far off, you came and reformed us again. And I pray for this church, this end days church, not just in Ireland, but around the world. This church that became corrupt through prosperity, Lord, like Laodicea. This church, Lord, that went away from these solas, Lord, somehow, Lord, by getting a wrong picture of who you are, what you're about, and reflecting you incorrectly. I pray for that church, God, that you will bring her back to that place of the cross again. Lord, I pray you bring great excitement into the church, great purity, great love, Lord, great conviction. I pray that young men will begin to stand for something again. And they will stand strong. Young women the same. That they will stand shoulder to shoulder with their men. And they will stand for righteousness. And lay down their lives if called to do so, Lord. With great gratitude. And I pray, God, for every pastor, Lord God, that has gone off, Lord, in one tangent or another, Lord. That you will come to them and that you will reform them. You will bring them back to the centrality of the gospel. And that they will never move from that point. That they will give hope again to their congregation. They will give hope to their community, Lord. They will give hope to their country, God. I just pray today, Lord God, there will be a revival sweep through your church, Lord. A purging of wrong thinking, O oh God. And a love born in our hearts again for righteousness, Father. I pray for this, God. I pray for our church, Cork Church, God. I pray for every leader, Lord. I pray for a unity on truth, O oh God. I pray, Lord God, that we will be, be those who will be counted, Lord, in the day of opposition. That we will not be found wanting, God. Lord, not going with the populist views, but standing, Lord, for you and for your glory. Help us today, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for our salvation. So rich and so free and so wonderful. And Moses said of you, Lord, it's true, Lord. Who else is like unto you? What could we possibly add to the work of Calvary? What could we possibly do, Lord, to add even a fraction of glory? You've done it all. You went far and beyond, Lord, what was needed. We thank you so much, Lord. So with a grateful heart, we bless you this morning. Would you stand with me this morning and just give thanks to the Lord? Just be grateful. Lift your hands with me. We're going to just tell the Lord we're grateful today. We're grateful, Lord, that you've done it all, God. Your scriptures. Hallelujah. Your Christ. Your grace. Your faith. And all for your glory. Hallelujah. If you can live like this Christian, you're going to live with the power of God in your life. Not only that, you're going to have the joy of the Lord always. You're going to have the confidence to be able to stand. And you're going to have the confidence to lay down as well. Your life or all that you call dear to you. Because you found something far more dear than life and materialism. Now, Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.